Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Good morning, church. You may be seated. Like Andrew said, we've got a bit of a different service today and we're grateful that uh, Pastor Lottie and Pastor Sia are here, dear friends of the Chapel Collective and certainly um, of the Benells. So it's really exciting to have them here. Uh, we are just going to take a moment to have continuity and keep going through the book of Acts. And so let's open to Acts chapter 10. And we will have a time of like quick discussion after this. So um, if you're like, I want to um, have some chit chat, you've got that opportunity uh, in just a moment because I'm not going to go too long at all. So it says here in chapter 10, verse 1, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer. Now let's just pause there. There lived a Roman army officer. Let's consider for a moment the fact that we've been working through this book of Acts and it's a bunch of Jewish people hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and choosing to follow him but remain as Jews because that's who they were. Roman army officer, the emblem of world power was Rome. And they were the occupier, the oppressor. They were loathed by every true Jew. So when you read, there lived a Roman army officer. That's not just meaningless information. Someone has been chosen and it's sure to be intentional. And radical love is about to be shown. So guys named Cornelius, who was captain of the Italian regiment. Uh, he was a devout, God-fearing man. Now, you might remember our midweek study um, where we had Jews uh, broken down further into Hebraic Jews and Hellenist Jews. Hebraic Jews were the Galilean Jews and the Judean Jews. Hellenist Jews were Jews that had been spread around and were in nations all around. Um, and then there were, there were Samaritans and then there were the proselytes. They were Gentiles who had chosen to become Jews by having their old... Snip, and, and then there were the God-fearers. And they weren't quite prepared to go as far as getting the op done. Uh, they valued all things too much. But they did, they did love God. And so I want you to consider that Cornelius is a God-fearer and he's someone who's been to many nations around him as part of his Roman occupation. He's seen gods after gods after gods and something in him has said, the worship practices, the rituals, the sacrifices that I see and this crazy amount of gods isn't cutting it for me. And he decides that he's going to follow the one true God. And so he's a God-fearer. Um, and as we'll see over and over through the book of Acts, this is a missional pattern that Paul follows. And it's actually a missional pattern that we as the Chapel Collective follow. Because what happened, what's going to happen is Peter is going to give this message of Jesus Christ to someone who fears God. Not a Jew, but fears God. And when Peter goes and starts speaking to people, that's every time. He doesn't go and try to woo atheists. The only time he does that is in Athens when he talks his message to the unknown God. And he doesn't actually have that much of an outcome from that. All his outcome is when he goes to people who are Jews and already God-fearers, and that's where he has revival. That's what the Chapel Collective does as well. We reach seekers. We build believers. So we're looking for where God is already at work. That's the paradigm that we work with. Um, and it says here, as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor. This worship of God was not swearing allegiance to this one true God. It outworked in his behaviour. And it resulted in a desire to seek God, to obey Him, to value what He values. And specifically here, the poor. Let's never forget, 
chapel that one of God's heartfelt desires is that the outworking of our faith in Him is that we turn our eyes to the poor. If our eyes are only ever turned to God and us, we've missed a bunch of the equation there. Um, It says he prayed regularly to God. Um, Some versions say always. He truly desired relationship with God. Verse three, one afternoon about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Another version says, thine arms and thy prayers have come up as a memorial before God. I love that. What you do is not unseen. What you do comes up as a fragrance to God. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Now you might remember, oh, verse seven, as soon as the angel was gone. So isn't it amazing that the angel didn't just preach to Cornelius? Cornelius, Jesus, Jesus, Cornelius, you guys would really get along. Um, like the angel didn't preach to Cornelius because in, in Peter, it says that the angels long to look into these things. The preaching and understanding of the gospel is left to men and women of God. And so he leaves that to us to do. And, um, and it says here that, that, well, I just want to point out that if that's to be the case, no wonder we need the constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. Am I like I, I need the Holy Spirit to constantly try to outwork that message? Um, it says there that though he was staying with a tanner near the seashore. Now Andrew McKenzie pointed out last week, Andrew McKenzie, that I missed a whole plot point in that. Um, so thanks, Andrew. Um, and um, I, I missed it. Um, it said last week, the passage ended with Peter staying with Simon, a tanner of hides. And I was just like, oh, it's not Gary Tanner. It's not Claire Tanner. It's a tanner of hides. <laughs> um, but actually, tanning hides was a despicable trade for Jews, like dung collecting and copper smelting because of the stink. And in those days, it would permeate the clothing and the skin of the tanner. In fact, rabbis had made an allowance. This is one of the only um, instances where a Jewish woman could initiate divorce proceedings against her husband. And so um, otherwise it was just up to the men. If the wife burned bread, he could divorce her. If she did the wrong thing, he could divorce her. But here, if she'd married a man who then became a tanner, then um, the wife could divorce him because it was so gross. Uh, He lived on the outskirts of town, ostracised from society. They weren't allowed in the temple. And yet Peter, the good Jewish lad, chooses to stay with a tanner. Why would he do such a thing? Would no one else have him? Maybe, but maybe the Holy Spirit is already working in him this work of radical inclusion. Radical inclusion, that means that the message of Jesus Christ will extend beyond every single cultural barrier. Now, interestingly, the city of Joppa is where Jonah flew, fleed, fled, like I said. And I think, yeah, thanks for your help, guys. <laughs> Andrew's helping me. You're all helping me. <laughs> um, um, he fled. Um, Jonah fled to go and, because he didn't want to preach a message to the Gentiles. Um, so he leaves Joppa and, and runs away to Tarshish. Instead, Peter in Joppa head straight to Caesarea to preach a message to the Gentiles. But we cover that in really in full in week three of the midweek study, so I'm not going to go there too much. I just want to point out that radical inclusion back then sounded like compromise. It was like everyone was up in arms because this radical inclusion of the Gentiles, the Jews were like, you can't do that. And so I wonder if we were radically inclusive, if it would make you uncomfortable as well. I wonder who you would put on the outskirts of who we're allowed to reach 
and who you would prefer to change before they came here? Or are you okay with people coming as they are and that we could love them and that we could be radically inclusive and see what God does? It's very pertinent. Okay. Um, Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptised now they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So we gave orders for them to be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Done. Just like the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. There's some water. Can't I just get baptised right now? They're obviously saved. They're obviously, you know, received the Holy Spirit. Let's just get baptised right now. So speaking of which, there's a font in the auditorium. And if you want to get baptised this morning, we would love to baptise you. We're doing two things through the month of November. After every service, we're praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're praying that people would... Go under the waters. We're actually doing that. That's a physical thing. We're letting people be baptised. We're asking people, do you want to get baptised? And so if you want to get baptised, um, in just a moment, we're going to have our reflection time where we chat around the tables. I'm excited to be sharing today because I really know that God's put a word on my heart uh, for you and for your church. And uh, it's something that if, if you, you know, you're thinking about always, we're always thinking about what do we need for the next step or what do we need in our life right now? And what I found is that no matter what conclusion you come to of what you need, the thing that trumps it all is a word from God. Because no matter where you're at, I need more resource or I I need more vision or I need more opportunity or I need more space or whatever it might be that you think you need. If God speaks into your situation, He removes every other need that you thought you had. And so today, let's be a people that come with an open heart and spirit. And I know that's who you already are. I'm just reinforcing that to hear a word from God for our lives today that set us up for the next season. We're coming into the landing of 2022, which for a pastor and a preacher is almost the time to start talking about the next year. Right, we can land this season because 2023 is on its way. Uh, the message that God's put on my heart today is titled this, A Spring Clean for Your Soul. One of the uh, things that I look forward to the most in our church calendar is a couple of days that fall at the beginning of September where we put on our church calendar, it's for our internal staff, the, the couple of days called Lifehouse Spring Clean. And across these two days, we bring all our cough staff together and a couple of really keen volunteers, and we spring clean the building that God has blessed us with. We take stewardship over it and we spring clean it. I tell you what, the first year that we did this, like when, when, we, when I say spring clean, it's like a deep clean, right? So the first year we did this, we discovered or a team was deep cleaning the toilet area and they discovered that the grout between the tiles in the toilet area wasn't actually black, it's white. <laughs> Every year we find some new discovery in a space that we clean. Any surface that is paintable, we paint that surface. And uh, as I'm painting any surface, I'm thanking God that He called me to be a pastor, not a painter. And any painter who sees my handiwork is saying yes and amen. (laughs) When we're fixing the holes in the gyp rock, we're saying, Lord, we thank you for the youth ministry that you've blessed our church with. It's a, it's a time when we reclaim the space and create order and one of, in fact, not one of, without 
without competition, the most enjoyable part of the September spring clean in Lifehouse Church is where we get into the Lifehouse storage area. Does your church have a storage area? Anyone who is internally connected with this church knows, uh, I I shouldn't speak for the chapel. In every church that I've been to, I have discovered that any physical space that does not have direct leadership over it will become the dumping ground for everyone else's stuff. Now, I know this to be true in in the church, but I see this as something that's reflected in life because this is the same state that my garage can sometimes find itself in. See, the garage in the house that I live in is my space. I am the owner of the garage. If I'm Gollum, then the garage is my precious. And I set the garage up exactly how I like it. You know, those racket uh, storage things that you can buy from Bunnings, mate. Every wall in my garage is covered with those. Every container that is in my garage used for storage is the same container and they're all labelled with exactly what is in that thing. You can walk into my garage and you can find what you want when you want it without having to swim through clutter. I love it when I get to set up my garage the way I want it. But friends, here's the issue that I found. I can set up my garage the way that I want it, but there are other people who live in the same house as me. You might call them family. (laughs) And what happens over time is that these other people who live with me is they end up with something in their hands, a physical thing, that they once used or wanted, but they find themselves holding this thing and they go, I don't want this anymore. I have no further need for it. So now they have to move it out of their space. And so they come out of their own bedroom or wherever it is they got this thing and they go down to the garage. And do you know what they find in the garage? They find space. And wherever they find space, they go, well, this random thing must go here. I'll tell you, friends, in my garage right now, there is an office chair. Why? My son finished his time at high school, didn't need a desk anymore, didn't want his office chair anymore, wheeled it down the stairs, out the front, into the garage, and said, hmm, this looks like it goes here. Right now, in my garage, there is a no longer working printer. Like, are we keeping this because we think it'll be valuable for parts for the next printer? Like, is that what we're doing here? In my garage right now, I noticed when I went out there last time, there's a garbage bag. I'm like, what? Like, what is this garbage bag? It's full of clothes. What happens when the hand-me-downs get to the bottom? They go, well, there's no one left to hand me down to. Put it in the garage. I can't get over this one. There's one more. I have to share it with you. It's good for my therapy. Right now in my garage, there is a baby capsule. You know, the ones you put in the car like this, the beautiful little child. A baby capsule for, friends, my youngest child is 12. (laughs) Like, 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 oh, oh, 
Is someone in my family investing into the far distant future? I don't even know where this, it's not one of the ones that like an eight-year-old sits in. It's a proper sit the wrong way baby capsule. I don't even know where these things come from. And I am so grateful that I got that out this morning. I feel so much better. So every year, because of this, it is necessary, not just in my church building, but also in my home to do a spring clean. The purpose being to remove clutter, reclaim the space and create order. Well, friends, today we're going to do just that, but we are not talking about a physical space. Today we are talking about doing a spring clean for your soul. Because in the same way, the space that you fight for, maybe I'll use instead of the word space, the freedom that is fought for, the freedom that Jesus' eternal sacrifice won for you and I is not a space or a freedom that will stay there just because you want it to be there. It's a space that has to be fought for. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us about this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. In language that I might use in the context of this message, it says, hey, let's get rid of some of the clutter. Let's do a spring clean of ourselves. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I love that it doesn't name the sin. Why? Because whatever it is for you and I, it's like I'm walking into my garage. I want to get to where I'm going, but I'm being tripped up by something along the way. What is it that trips you up? This passage is saying, identify it and get rid of it. Why? So we can run the race with endurance, the one that God has set before us. A spring cleaning of the soul is all, all about a decluttering. And who doesn't love a decluttering? It's about the removal of things that have taken up residence in your soul, but they add no value to you. The, the picture of the garage breaks down a bit because our soul is not a static space. Our soul is a dynamic space. A, a better understanding is our soul is like a garden. Whatever is in there, whatever is planted in there will be growing in there. If we leave things in there that are not adding value to us, they won't stay dormant. They will increase in their devaluing. They will, they will cause greater clutter and greater distraction. A spring clean of the soul is all about reclaiming the space so that we can live in the freedom that Jesus came to give to us. Friends, Jesus did not come to give you potential freedom or partial freedom. He gave you fullness of freedom. And that's what He intends for us to be walking into today. You know what I found? I found that walking in the freedom of Christ is not a one-time revelation. It is a day-by-day revelation because I've still got things in my soul that should not be there. And it's the Holy Spirit who decides when He's going to identify them. And when He does, that's Him saying, now we're ready for another step of freedom, a greater depth of freedom. Does that resonate with anyone? Okay. So what I love about God's Word is that it's going to reveal something to us today that when I saw this, when, it, when I read this passage and it, and it jumped out of the page as only the Word of God can do sometimes, I realised that we, I was looking at an insight, a spiritual insight that isn't just about the removal of clutter, but also about how we then protect that space, that we keep the space that we fought for. And I'm going to a book of the Bible, which I know is a favourite of uh, your senior pastors at the chapel, and that's the book of Nehemiah. 
And the book of Nehemiah uh, tells the story about the people of Jerusalem returning after a period of exile of 70 years. They've been in a foreign nation. Now they return to their city and they find it's in an absolute mess. Its walls are broken down, the doors, uh, the gates are all burnt. There is clutter everywhere. So God raises up a leader, a man named Nehemiah, and he inspires the people with vision to rebuild the walls and re-establish the gates. You might look at Nehemiah as the leader who is taking on the ultimate spring clean. He's like, all right, we are going to reclaim this space. We're going to jump into the story about halfway through Nehemiah's mission being fulfilled. And it's in Nehemiah chapter 4. The scripture will be on the screen or you can follow along in whatever way you want. It's reading from verse 6. It says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. I love that. But... When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Now, what I find so interesting about this passage is that while the city laid in ruins, And while the people lived in those ruins, no one gave them much attention. They were happy for people to live in a broken down situation, a broken down life, a broken down uh, surrounding. It was only when they decided to take on the work and started to see progress in the work that they ran into strong opposition. Here's the insight. The spring clean for the soul is a metaphorical rebuilding of the walls, a metaphorical reestablishing of the gates. We're reclaiming the space and we're bringing order. And friends, I can tell you that when you choose or as you choose to continue to clear the space of what this world would like you to focus on and elevate the Word of God in your life, that is when you are going to see opposition. When you, Nehemiah is building the walls, when you build the presence of God, when you make space for Him, when you give Him the authority, that's what the gates are about, right? The gates are about authority. When you establish the gates that God has put, I know it's just a picture, it's a metaphor, but as you do this, you can almost expect opposition. You know, the the remnant that calls these people that are returned to Jerusalem in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, it says that they were living in despair and disgrace. But as soon as we see a turn, and, and that was fine, let them, let them live there, let them stay there. But it's when they were turning that around, that's when the opposition comes. The reason why I bring that up with you this morning is because the pattern that we see played out all those years ago is the same pattern that the opposition is using against you and I in the growth of our faith today. This word that's about to follow gives us an insight in when we face this kind of opposition, how we can respond with great confidence. And so let's just dig into this passage for a moment. One of the most interesting things that I see in this passage is that it doesn't say that 
the opposition came to fight against us and derail violently God's plan that we were outworking. It doesn't say that. Listen to what it says. It says, plans were made to fight against Jerusalem so that all the people would be thrown into confusion. Uh, this is, we, we just got to park here for a moment. But please don't pass over this insight and just keep on reading because this gives us an incredible insight into how our opposition is going to try and stop the work that God wants to do in our lives. So friends, first and foremost, let me tell you this. This is something that's going to build confidence in you. Your enemy, the devil, cannot stop anything that God intends to do from advancing in your life. He cannot stop anything that God intends to do. He can be furious with the advancement of God's kingdom in your life. He can be all riled up about it. But friend, there is nothing that the enemy can do to forcefully stop God's power and grace and authority from advancing in your life. Nothing. Isaiah chapter 4, I can see some of you are not sure yet. Stay with me. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says this, but in that day, in that coming day, friend, we live in the coming day because Christ has come and we have the Holy Spirit alive within us. He is not an external power. He is an internal living being. All right, you're with me. The same power, Romans 8, 11, that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. This is what we're talking about. In that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. This is good for you. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. This is good for you. These benefits will be enjoyed by the servants of their Lord. I love this. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. We sang it this morning. No weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. If you can't sing, sing loud. That's my thing. Except if you've got a microphone, then sing silently. We sang it this morning. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. I, I don't know if, uh, how you learned the passage growing up, but I learned the passage growing up this way. And if you've not heard it before, this is an easy way to remember it. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Say that this morning. Just say it with me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. You know, this tells you two things. It tells you one, firstly, there's a weapon. Friends, we don't get to live our life without a recognition that there is an opposition and that opposition does have a weapon. We can't live ignorant to it. And number two, it tells me that this weapon has no power to stop God doing from whatever God wants to do. John chapter 10, Jesus reinforces this. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. This is like the, the prophetic word of Isaiah now being revealed through Jesus's word. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Friend, the greatest revelation that you can walk out of here with today is that even though there is a weapon that might be formed against you, it cannot prosper. Why? Because you are in the hand of Christ who is in the hand of the father. The devil has no authority. He cannot take you out of God's hands. This should fill us with great confidence. The second part of this revelation is equally as important. 
Because your enemy knows that he cannot defeat you by taking you out of God's hand, he tactfully gives his attention to using one of the only weapons he has with the intent that you would remove yourself from God's hand. He can't take you out of there. So he wants to see things in the garden of your soul that grow up to become something that leads you out of that place where God says, you will, nothing can take you out of my hand. Friend, the only thing that can stop God's work outworking His plan and purpose in you is you. Smile at me. I'm your friend. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. What does it mean to be in confusion? It means to be uncertain or unclear. Because the devil cannot stop God's plans for you, he gives all of his energy and attention to you becoming unclear about who God is and uncertain about what he has spoken. And when does this happen? When you find yourself in a circumstance that you never expected to be. You're going through the book of Acts and you're going to come to the book of Acts chapter 20 and it's where Paul is telling the people at Ephesus who he loves so dearly. You read the book of Ephesus and you know how much he loves these people. Well, he's standing with them and, and he's in this moment where he, he, he's leaving. He's on his way to Rome and, that, and someone comes and prophesies over him and ties up his hands around his wrists and does this and whatever and says, this is what the future holds for you. And Paul says this incredible thing. He says, everywhere I go, I'm told that the future for me looks pretty horrible. But this is the thing that is burning in my heart. Acts 20, 24, not on the screen. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of taking the gospel forward. Friend, when you know what God has spoken, when you're clear on what He has said, oh, I'm beating you today. I, I'm, I, I am I am." Speed preaching this morning. When you know what God has spoken, you don't live in a place of uncertainty and you don't live in a place where you lack clarity. You can be in a circumstance that you have no idea what's going on, but you are not concerned about who God is and you're not doubting the words He has spoken. Let's go on a journey all the way back to the very beginning where we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So we know that the devil could not force feed the fruit that they were instructed not to eat. The devil could not force feed that into Adam and Eve's mouth. He could not pin them down and say, you will eat this. You know how you used to be able to do those things to your little brothers and sit like you pin them down and like, you're going to eat this worm. The devil couldn't do that. He got no power to force feed you any, anything that God uh, outside of God's will. So what did he do? He sowed seeds of confusion. He said to Eve, did God really say? It was this seed of confusion that eventually grew up in Adam and Eve's heart. It's not static. It's not a static space. If those seeds are allowed to stay there, they will produce something. And you know what it produced in Adam and Eve? It produced a willing choice. 
They, they, didn't, they weren't forced into it. They gave themselves wholeheartedly over to it. And that was the choice of doing what they thought was best for their lives instead of confidently following the authority of God's Word, which was ultimately for their greatest benefit. What's our revelation? Our revelation is this. The devil still aims to distort the plans and the purpose that God has for you and he will do that by sowing seeds of confusion into your soul in a time where you might be questioning some things that are going on in your world. And he'll say, did God really say, did God really say, did God really say? So what do we do with this knowledge? Well, obviously, number one, we know what the Word of God says and we stay steadfast in His truth. Nehemiah gives us an insight on how we do that. In verse 9, listen to what Nehemiah says. Okay, they come to throw us into confusion. So he says this, We prayed to our God and we guarded our city, guarded the city night and day to protect ourselves. Friends, in this short verse, we are given an incredible insight in how we stand against the confusion that the enemy would like to seed into our souls. Number one, what does it say? We prayed. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but stay with me on this. There's a huge insight for you. When we look at the first encounter of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the thing that stands out to me almost most in this thing is that this passage, Adam and Eve and the serpent, the thing that I read in that, and, and, and as I read it, I go, where is God? You've got up to this point in the story before and God's the main character. He's in every conversation. And then we get to this point where the tempting is coming and God's nowhere to be seen. Friends, the revelation that we're receiving from this moment is the way we stay out of a place of confusion is we keep God in the story. I reckon that's huge. This let it sit and settle with you for a moment. This is the first part in the Bible where God's not there. Where is God in your story in that place where you're feeling confused? Where is God right now? The thing why it says to pray is because you can't pray from a distance. Prayer is all about proximity. The, the, the thought is this, the voices that have the opportunity to speak into your mind have the greatest opportunity when you're not bringing God close. God is always close to you from His perspective, but friends, it's prayer that brings us close to Him in our spirits and in our understanding. We avoid confusion by staying close. Number two, wrapping it up. Dan, you might come and work some magic. The passage then says, we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Now, friend, here's the obvious thing. We don't have a city to protect. We don't have physical walls to build. We we don't have something that we have to physically fight for. We don't have swords and shields of actual use in the garage. We, We don't have that. We don't have that. I mean, I did think about building a wall so no one could get into my garage. I thought that might protect the space but this is what Proverbs 4.23 says about guarding something listen to this it says guard your heart above all else why for it determines the course of your life friend if you want to stand against the enemy's desire to seed and sow confusion in you you've got to keep God close and you've got to guard your heart 
above all else. Why? Because out of it is going to grow the garden. It's the garden. It's growing something and the fruit of your life will determine. What it grows will determine the fruit of your life. How do we resist the confusion that the devil would want us to succumb to? We do it by guarding our hearts night and day. What's your heart? Very simply, let me put it like this. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about who you are with no relevance to your physical body. Think about this. You were taken, you're, you're taken out of your physical body and you're put into a completely different one. You, how you look would be different, how you sound would be different, but who you are would be exactly the same person. It's your identity. It's who you are. It's what doesn't change. That's the bit that the Bible says we have to guard this space. So what do we do and how do we actually guard that thing that is called our hearts? Well, just like we do in the spring clean of a physical space, we take some time and we look at the current state of our heart and we identify everything that we've allowed in there. You know, when you do that, you might find that there's some things in your heart that have started to grow that should have never been allowed in there in the first place. Things like unforgiveness, things like resentment, things like entitlement or pride or jealousy. Just let me rattle off some things that are going to make you feel so blessed this morning. Comparison, guilt, shame, anger, offence, greed, selfishness, worry, fear, doubt. Friends, these things are not dormant, static things in our life. They are seeds and they grow. And the fruit that that produces will be reflected in the life of freedom that we live. And if we are carrying these things, allowing these things to remain present in the space that God has created for us in our heart, if we allow them to be there, then we will not be living in freedom. So what do we do? Well, we do a spring clean in that. Yeah, spring's a great time to get into the garden and rip out some things that aren't supposed to be there. Why? So the things that are can grow and flourish. So David says this in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Friend, you're not alone. Um, I am putting the responsibility on us in instigating this, but the good news is we're not alone. We're not the ones that carry the full responsibility of this. We are the ones who get to invite someone else in. And so David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life or eternal freedom or the life that you've called me to live. You know, when cleaning out the, any area of storage, you need a framework for thinking about what stays and what goes. And this is the framework. The question that in Lifehouse we ask is this, does this item add value to Lifehouse? Will it help us move forward with the mission and purpose that God has given us on the earth? And friend, you can do the same thing in your soul. Does this attitude, does this thing, whatever it is, does it add value to me? And is it propelling me forward in the life that Christ has called me to live? If it is, it stays. If it's not, it's entangling me and I got to get rid of it. The, uh, the thing about the Holy Spirit in this context is I've given Him a name. I call Him the ultimate clutter destructor. I'm 42 and I'm a dad, so that's what we have to do. We have to make lines like that. Clutter destructor. Here's the thing. When, you're, when we identify someone to clear out the life, our storage space, we, we don't want someone 
who has the gift of nostalgia. Is that how you say that word? We don't want that person. We want a cold-hearted soul. I send in my friend Luke Alcock, mate. Mate, this guy, when it comes to things that stay or go, like I go in there and, and, and you have to open a box and see what's in there. If there's a photo in there, oh, it's all over. I will sit there for the next four hours and look through all those photos. I'll be like, oh, can you remember? Luke goes in there and says, is it helping us advance in the mission? No, get rid of it. Friend, the Holy Spirit is not sensitive to memories or anything else in your heart that might make you feel comfortable, but adds no value. He is the ultimate clutter destructor. So as we close this morning with a few minutes that we have left together, here's what we're going to do. I know that there is stuff happening around. That's the nature of this service. But even while there is stuff going around, we can still find a moment with God. So I'm going to ask you to participate today uh, in in a very personal way. This is not a discussion moment. This is a personal moment where you might ask the prayer that David prayed to be applied to your own heart. And and, uh, maybe if, thank you so much. This is the prayer and you can pray it for yourself. God, would you search me today? I invite you, Holy Spirit, as the ultimate clutter destructor to come into my heart and search me today. And would you identify anything in my soul that's not supposed to be? This is a prayer that I'm praying over you, but this is a prayer in a moment. I want you to pray yourself. God, whatever, whatever is in there, let me see it. God, know my thoughts, the things stored into my heart and the things that cause these pathways of patterns of thinking in my mind. Lord, whatever it is, I want you to identify it. And God, I don't want to live with those things anymore. If you bring them to the surface, it's telling me that it's time to do some spring cleaning in my soul to get rid of those things. And so, Lord, I pray for this group of people gathered here today, passionate about you, Lord, out uh, on this Sunday morning to be in the house of God. And so, Lord, we ask that for every single person in this place, that, Lord, that in this moment, you would identify one thing. I don't want you to identify 50,000 things, Lord, just one, just one thing. Bring one thing to mind that they can walk out of here, leaving behind so that they might live in a greater sense of the freedom that only you have come to give. And so, Lord, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Just take a moment. Just take a moment. The team will come and sing a song soon, but we're just going to take 30 or minute or whatever it is before anyone sings. And you just sit there and ask the Holy Spirit to identify what needs to go, what's holding me back. Let's do that together. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.